0: I want to begin by saying welcome again to those here in the well and those upstairs in the well cafe. My name is David and uh, it's a joy to welcome you on this important weekend. Uh, I want to share with you first uh, something that I read yesterday morning. I woke up yesterday morning and on Friday night I did what many of you probably did which was spend a couple hours watching the news and just seeing the scenes of what happened uh, uh, in Paris on, on Friday night, and so Saturday morning I woke up and I was having my coffee and sitting in my chair, and um, that's usually my, my quiet time, my time just to read the scripture and to pray, and, and my mind drifted to uh, the last two verses of Psalm 139, um, and this is just something for, I don't know if this will work for you, but for me, Oftentimes the repetition of a particular scripture helps guide me into a time of prayer. And the reason uh, for those two verses to come to my mind were because of uh, I, I was just feeling confused. Maybe you were feeling that as well uh, after a, a really shocking evening on Friday night. And so here's the last two verses of Psalm 139. "'Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts.'" See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so when I find myself at a place where I just, I just need God to reveal to me what's going on in my heart, because I can't understand it, that's often uh, two verses of Scripture that I turn to. So I'm, I'm finishing that up, and then I get to Psalm 140. My eyes just kind of drift down the page to the first verse of Psalm 140. Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. And then I'm just going to jump down to verse 8. It says this, Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. And that last verse, that's just what's been on my heart this weekend. Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. And so before we dive into the one thing, we got a important I have an important message to share with you, but I, I just want to spend a few moments in prayer together. And so what I want to invite you to do first is I want want to invite you just to close your eyes, and I want to invite you just to take some deep breaths. Uh, And as you do that, what I want to invite you to do just in your own words, in your own heart, is just to express to God your thanks for life. Let's take a few moments to do that before we pray together. Holy and loving God, today we pause together as a people who are once again in shock at the violence and evil that fills our world. We cannot fathom, nor can we even begin to explain, Lord, such senseless disregard for life. We feel anger and sadness and confusion and fear. We are desperate for an answer, Lord. For something or someone who can somehow stop the hurting and set this upside down world right side up again. Today, Lord, we are reminded of our desperate and overwhelming need of you. For the only one who we believe by faith has the answer for the sickness that has corrupted all of humanity In the face of evil, Lord Jesus, you pause to pray and so today as people who have committed our lives to following you, we do the same. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort the grieving this day, those who are overcome by their senseless loss, that you would protect and heal the injured, that you would bless and equip doctors and nurses who serve those who are now in critical care. Lord, be present with those whose lives have now been forever changed by the violence of recent days. May they know your peace, which passes all of our human understanding. Lord, guard those who this day continue to stand in the face of those who would do your people harm. Be with those first responders who ran into the heart of danger and those who continue to stand at post all around the world to defend and protect us from evil. Lord, enable us, your people, to respond in faith rather than fear, to have the courage, Lord, to continue to stand for what is right and lovely and pure and good. And as your Spirit works in us to drive away any and all anxiety, we also ask, Lord, that you would keep us from being those who might also find ourselves trapped by vengeance and hate. (laughs) And only because you have taught us to do so, and we are committed to you, today we pray for our enemies, and for all those who would ally themselves with terror and fear. Cast out hate, Lord. Cast out violence, Lord. Cast out vengeance, Lord. Cast out fear. We pray for our enemies trusting that light will conquer darkness and that the worst thing we face in life will not be the last thing. And so today with the people of Paris and with all those who are the victims of terror all around the world today, we stand together and in the name of Jesus, we offer to you this prayer. Amen. It might seem uh, like an odd transition uh, for some of you to go immediately from that into what we want to talk about this uh, uh, this morning. Um, I actually spent a lot of time this last 24 hours just thinking about this worship service that we were going to share, and thinking about what I had prepared to share with you, and just asking the question: Lord, is this still what you want your people to hear? Is this still what we need to be talking about this weekend, and here's what I came up with. Here's what the Lord affirmed in me. The reason we're going to keep doing what we've been doing, and we're going to wrap up this series, the one thing, is because the kingdom of God matters. That's why we're going to do that. The kingdom of God matters, and what we are doing as a church to bring light and hope and peace and grace in the world, that matters, and, and we're going to keep focusing on that. So we've been in this series called The One Thing, and we set as the foundation of the series the simple idea that God has a dream for our lives, God has a dream for our world. If nothing else, this weekend we should be reminded of that God has a dream for our world. We should be shocked by the images that we see that are completely against the dream that God has for our world. God has a dream for our lives. He has a dream for your life and for my life and for our life together, for this family of faith together. And we started there. We started with the idea that we want to be people who pursue God's dreams. And the one thing that we, what we've talked about is the thing that often separates us from the realization of God's dreams. That phrase actually comes from Mark chapter 10, a man who comes to Jesus and, the, and what he asks of Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But we could very easily paraphrase that as, Jesus, what do, what do I need to do if I'm going to live out your dreams for my life? and Jesus gives him some things these are the things that you should do and he says well I'm doing pretty good in that and he said but there's one thing you lack there's one thing you lack and the one thing that he identified for that man what we have said is the one thing that we often lack a life that is defined by abundant generosity abundant generosity. That's part of God's dream for your life. That's, God, that's part of God's vision for your life is that you would live into that vision of living an abundantly generous life. And so at the end of our service today, we're inviting all those who call this church their home, who are invested in the dreams that God has for this church, we're inviting you to share your estimate of giving with us the, the commitment cards that we have shared with you. They're there in your pew if you don't, or in your seat if you don't have one today. Uh, and we are doing that for the sake of saying, God, we are Committed to seeing your dreams come true. We want to live into this vision of, abun- of an abundantly generous life. And in this series, we've talked about the vision to see that, the vision to see the dream. What does it mean to, to see what our life might look like when we live this abundantly generous life? We've talked about the courage to take a chance last week, the idea that generosity is within itself an act of courage. It is a way of saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust that when I give my life to you, it is in good hands. I trust you for today and I trust you for tomorrow. Today, we're talking about the faith to follow God's lead. And I just want you to see that phrase on the screen, the faith to follow God's lead. Because before we dive into our scripture for today, I just want to point out something in this phrase that is really, really important when we think about generosity, when we think about love, when we think about any act of faith that we participate in, it is always an act that is following God's lead. God always, in other words, takes the first step. We, when we act in faith, in whatever we do by faith, we are always responding to what God has already done for us. God always, 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 always takes the first step, and our response in whatever form that takes is a response to what God has already done. God is the one who takes the first step. And that is a really, really critical idea. I want to point out to you why that is in the scripture that I'm going to read to you in just a moment, that we are responding to what God has already done. You may remember that verse from Romans where it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We remember that God is the one who takes the first step. So this, this idea of living an abundantly generous life, I want to talk about first, why is this so important to God? Why would God care so much that we would live into this vision and this dream for our life? So let me read to you one verse from John chapter 3. Uh, it's verse 16. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Has anybody ever heard that scripture before? John 3.16. Maybe you haven't heard the scripture, but you've seen the address on a poster somewhere. This is. uh, If we were to poll people, my guess, this this may not be the top scripture, most famous one, but it's probably in the top two or three. I mean, Psalm 23 would probably take the cake, but this would be a close second. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Would you read that scripture with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have your Bible today and you were to flip over to John chapter 1, here's another thing that John says about Jesus. John uh, chapter 1 verse 18 he says this, no one has ever seen God. And that's a phrase that John uses repeatedly. It's here in his gospel, it's also in 1 John chapter 4. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. If you were to flip over to Colossians chapter 1, here's what Paul says about Jesus. He describes Jesus with this phrase, that he is the image of the invisible God. So you put these two thoughts together from the writer John, from the writer Paul, as they describe the ministry and the work of Jesus. Here's what they're essentially saying, that Jesus came into the world to reveal the Father. Jesus came to expose the heart and character of God. And so what we believe is when we look at Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, the way he lived his life and his teaching, we are looking into the clearest picture we can see of the heart and character of God. So keeping that in mind, I want you to think again about this famous verse and what it says about God. What is Jesus revealing about the heart of the Father in this very famous verse? For God so loved the world that he gave. So Jesus comes into a world that had this perspective on the divine, whether it was a monotheistic perspective, meaning a belief in one God, or a polytheistic perspective, a belief in many gods, like the Roman gods or other pagan religions, all of those together had this understanding of God, that in order for God or the gods to do what you wanted them to do, humanity had to take the first step. Humanity had to offer a sacrifice or in some way serve the God or the gods in order to get those divine beings to do what we might want them to do. That was the nature of all ancient religion. And Jesus comes into the picture, and what does he say about this God? He says, this God this divine who I have come to reveal to you, this is a God who loves and a God who gives. And in other words, a God who is not waiting on humanity to take the first step, a God who out of love and generosity has willingly taken that step for us. That's who God is according to Jesus. God is defined by this love and this act of generosity. That's who God is according to Jesus. God is the one who has taken the first step and everything in the Christian life is a response to that first step God has already done. Again, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the first step. And why did God do that? Because God's heart is defined by love and God's favorite activity, God's favorite thing to do. Think about this. His favorite thing to do is to give. I mean, nothing brings the heart of God more delight and joy than giving of himself to us. That's who God is. And Jesus came to reveal that understanding of God. And so when we think about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to live into this vision for our life? Well, generosity has to be a part of that because it's God's favorite thing. And God's favorite thing is the thing that God wants so desperately to share with you. Not a sense of generosity that is out of a sense of of burden or or duty, but a sense of generosity that is born out of a sense of, of delight and joy of being able to share our lives and our resources with others. That's why it's so critical to the dream of what God has for your life, because this is who God is, the one who has come, who has taken the first step and invites us to respond to him with that second step. And so last week we talked about when it comes to our monetary resources, the scripture actually give us a very specific principle of how to handle that in a way that honors God. It's the practice of tithing. And tithing, that word actually means the first tenth. So when you think about tithing, there's two important things to keep in mind. The first is the word percentage, that God gives us a percentage that we're supposed to give back to God. But the second thing that we often miss is there's also a sense of priority. It's, no, it, it's not just about the percentage that we give, but it's the priority at which we give. It's the first thing we do. As soon as we receive, we give as a way of saying three things back to God, saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for life, for the life that you have blessed me with, for the joy of sharing in the life that you are bringing into the entire world. Lord, I trust you. I will get out of the boat. I will take that step because I trust you with my life. I trust you with today and tomorrow. And the third thing is I want to partner with you, God. I want to partner with you in seeing your dreams come true. I want to step into that vision of the Lord's Prayer of your kingdom coming and your will being done. And I am investing in that. And I told you last week we're going to talk more about that this week. What does it mean to partner with God to see God's dreams come true? And what I want to share with you today is simply my own story with that of how I've seen that in my own life, and then I wanna talk to you about how I have seen that in the lives of others, the most vivid expression that I've ever had the chance to see, of this idea of when we share and when we give, of seeing God's dreams released in that vision that God has come true. So I told you, I've been telling you over the last couple of weeks about my own journey into this practice of being a generous person, trying to live into that vision that God has for me, and it started when I got my first job which makes sense because you can't give until you receive. So when I got that first job, I was a sophomore in college. And before that, my, my, my spring semester of my freshman year, I had made a, a critical decision in my life. And that critical decision was I wanted to get out of the dorm. That was the critical decision of my life. I want to get out of this dorm life. Uh, I, I want to get away from this living with 50 guys on my floor. This is not fun, okay? This is not what I, I do not want to do this anymore. So I remember going to my parents and saying, I got to get out of the dorm. I want out of the dorm. I, whatever we have to do, I want to get out of the dorm. And here was the deal they made with me. They said, David, if you get a job and you can pay for your living expenses. You can pay for your rent. You can pay for your food, pay your bills. If you can do that, we'll keep paying your tuition, and we'll keep paying your books, and you can move off campus. Okay, that's what I have to do. I want to get out of the dorm. i got to get a job. And so I started looking for any job. Just give me a job. I want to get out of this situation. I don't want to live here anymore. I I want to move into this next phase of adulthood. I mean, I've learned to wash my clothes. I now wanted to pay bills. I thought that was going to be a lot of fun. So I go to a lunch, my campus minister invited me to a lunch, spring semester of of my freshman year. We went to the Deluxe Diner in College Station. I don't even know if that's still open, but it's not open, I'm seeing some no's. Okay, well, let me just tell you young people about what was so great about the Deluxe Diner. You started your meal with a plate of cheese fries. And there was a day in my life when I could have done that and it would have been okay and I can't do that anymore. You know, it it goes the wrong place. But I had a plate of cheese fries. That was awesome. Sitting there with my campus minister and guess what he did? He offered me a job. I wanted a job. He offered me a job, prayers answered. Good news, right? Like, this is wonderful. Before he even finished, I was like, yes, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'm I'm in. I want a job. I want to move into the next phase of my life. And and it was after I had already said yes that he kind of shared with me the fine print of this job, okay? So here's the fine print. He said, okay, well, here's what you need to know. We have a job for you. We just don't have any money for that job. That's a very odd job offer, if you've ever received that. We don't have any money, but we have a job. Well, it doesn't sound like you have a job. But it, so he tells me, here's, here's, what, here's what we do. We partner with students who feel a calling to ministry, and we provide them a position working as a ministry intern in our ministry. And your challenge is you have to raise the money for this job. And I thought, this, you know, my excitement just woo, I don't know, this dead, I, I don't know how I feel about this." And I said, "Well what, how would I even do that?" And He said, "Well, here's what you do. I want you to share with the people who know you best. I want you to write a letter to them, and, and first, I want you to tell them what God is doing in your life. I want you to tell them about this calling that you feel like God has on your life, and I just want you to invite them to invest in seeing that dream come true for you. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do that. That's very uncomfortable. I'm not real, you know, but I, I wanted a job. <laughs> I wanted to move off campus. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try. So I wrote that letter, and I remember taking that letter to the post office. And this, this was my idea, okay? This is my juvenile, immature way of understanding how this whole dynamic of being called was w- w- kind of worked into my head. My thought was, Lord, if you want me to be a pastor, you got to make this happen, and if you don't, I get to do whatever I want to do. I mean, that was kind of how I felt about it. Like, if it's all on you, God. If you make this happen, great. But if not, I'm going to go do whatever I want to do with my life, okay? This is your chance. If you want me in, you got to make this happen. That was me at 19, okay? That's, that's how I thought about it. So I sent those letters off. And after about two gut-wrenching weeks, I remember getting that first letter back in the mail and that first check. And one of the things that I had not expected about that process was that I not only received dollars that was given to that ministry to fund this this internship that I I did there, but with each letter that I received, I also got, uh, with each check I got, I also received these beautiful, beautiful words of affirmation and support from these people who had known me my whole life people who shared just incredible, life-giving, affirming uh, messages, saying that they, they, they affirmed that I was called to ministry, that they saw those same gifts in me and that, and that they wanted to invest in that and they believed in me, they believed in me, they believed in me. I mean, it was, it was overwhelming for me to, to receive not only those tangible expressions of their support, but also to hear those just life-giving, wonderful words that they shared. I remember um, in, in that first few weeks, I got a, I got a check from Billy Treese. Uh, Billy's husband, Bob, had built me a tree house when I was a kid and he'd let me come out and help him work on it and he was retired, he was a woodworker, he was really excited about doing this uh, for me and Bob had just passed away the year before and she sent me this beautiful letter and just said, I know Bob would be so proud of you And so excited that we're able to support you in this this dream you have for your life. One of the letters that I got was from uh, a family, uh, Jim and Cora Cogdall. Uh, They were members of my dad's church at the time. And Jim and Cora sent me a check for $100. And I remember when I opened up that letter and I saw that check for $100, the first time I thought, i got to send this back. i got to send this back. They can't afford to send me $100. Why are they sending me $100? They need this money. Because here's the deal. I knew what kind of life they lived. I knew what kind of car they drove. I knew what kind of clothes they wore. And, and it was 1997 at the time. Their wardrobe stopped about 1972, okay? And so as a 19-year-old kid, I just thought, they can't afford to do this. What I didn't understand at 19 is that Jim and Cora had made a decision long ago that they wanted to live into this vision of living an abundantly generous life. And so at the end of this letter, this beautiful letter that Cora wrote to me, at the end of it she said, David, we are proud of you, we believe in you, and as we are able, we're going to continue to support you. That's what I got the first month. The second month I got another letter from Cora and another check for $100. And I got a check for $100 every single month for the next two and a half years from Jim and Cora Cogdo. Now, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I am convinced that at that stage in my life, God had a dream for my life. There was something that God wanted to see realized in my life. And that dream absolutely would not have happened without Jim and Cora. It would not have happened. I don't know where I'd be. I don't know what I'd be doing. I would not be your pastor today without Jim and Cora Cogdle. And the words that they shared and the way in which they supported those words with their tangible gift of investing in me. It was a dream that God had for my life that would not have happened without Jim and Cora and Billy and and so many others who sacrificed in order to affirm in me that there was a dream, and they believed it just as I had, had believed it. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be your pastor without them. And so when I, when I tell you that I believe God has a dream for your life and God has a dream for our life together and what our church is going to do and how lives are going to be transformed. And, and when I say that generosity is often the one thing that separates us from, from the realization that dreams, I tell you that because I've lived that story. I've experienced that in my own life and I wouldn't be where I am if, if people hadn't been generous to me. Now, let me, let me tell you this part of the story. When I started that first job, and my, and my pastor also talked to me about the, the practice of tithing. When I took that first $300 check and I got $30 back from the bank and I walked it back to that ministry, I want to tell you, that was one of the easiest things I've ever done. Do you know why? Because as I was doing it, I was thinking about Jim and Cora and Billy, and I knew all these names and all these faces and all these stories of people who had sacrificed for me. And when I thought about how they had sacrificed for me, it was so, so easy for me to wrap my head around what it looked like to sacrifice for others. And it's never been hard for me because of the memory of those who sacrificed for me and the realization of that dream that I know would not have come true without what they did for me. Now, let me tell you where I saw this, and it's most vivid, vivid form. Many of you know that I got back from, or I went to Africa in February, and I went to Rwanda to connect with the orphan communities that we support in partnership with a ministry called Zoe Ministry. Now, if you're brand new and don't know anything about Zoe, I'll tell you real quick what they do. They fu- Our Gifts to Zoe funds a three-year empowerment program where they go into a community, and they basically pull together the orphans who are living in that community, forming them into an orphan community, where they are, they receive training, they receive resources, they receive uh, all that they need so that at the end of those three years, they become a self-sufficient community together. That means that kids who start the program uh, at a light, life of complete hopelessness, meaning they don't even have food, the only food that they have is food that they steal from their neighbors, From that place, at the end of the program, when Zoe is gone and our funds are not there anymore, they together are a self-sustaining community. And we go at the end of that program to simply be a person that they can say thank you to, to to the people who have invested in them and made this program possible for them. And I got to tell you, honor is not a strong enough word to express what it was like for me to be there on your behalf to be there on behalf of you and on behalf of your sacrifice and your generosity, to be able to, to be the one who saw with my own eyes their expressions of joy and delight, sharing with you, with all of us their deep gratitude for the way in which we had enabled them to move from a life of total hopelessness to a life where they could live a self-sustaining life for themselves, often for younger siblings or other orphans that they had adopted. And that's awesome. I mean, that's just overwhelming awesome. If the program stopped there, we'd go, that's great. That's so, so wonderful. But here is what is, it's awe-inspiring to think about is that as this program has developed in Rwanda and they're now present in six other countries sharing this same three-year program with kids, here's what's amazing, the unintended consequence, if you will, of this work that they have done is that at the end of that program that these kids walk through, what what, what Zoe did not expect and was surprised to, to, to see is that these kids who had received, these kids who had had this dream come true in their life, they immediately, began replicating the program themselves for the sake of other orphans in their community. They, in receiving, learned how to give. Kids who start with absolutely nothing, and at the end of the program, by our standards, they only have a little bit of something, okay? We go from absolutely nothing to a little bit of something, and yet they learn to give in tremendous ways, which means that communities that we have gone into, and we've worked with a community of orphans, those orphans have become the life-changing agents in their own community by the way in which they take what we have invested in them and they begin to tangibly invest it in others. That's amazing. I don't know if you have this image in your mind, but I'm just convinced that there are things that happen in the world that send God just, you know, he just, you know, he's just I mean, God's just yelling, yes, 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 yes. There are things that happen in the world that God says, yes. That's what my kingdom is all about. When people who have uh, when people discover the joy of having the chance to do for someone else what someone else did for them. It's incredible. It's incredible the way a life, A community, a country, a world can be changed when this vision of abundant generosity is lived out by people who say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm convinced that God has a dream for our lives, for your life and for my life and for our life together. And I'm convinced that generosity is often the one thing that separates us from the realization of that dream. So here's the question for today. What would be different? What would be different? about your life? What would be different about our church? What would be different about the impact that this church has on our community? What would be different about our state? What would be different about our nation? What would be different about our world if everyone, everyone who claimed allegiance to Jesus lived into this vision of abundant generosity? What would be different? Not people who give begrudgingly or out of a sense of duty, but but those who give out of that sense of delight and joy, recognizing that when you give, you are connecting directly with the heart of the Father. You're doing one of the things that he loves to do for you. You're not taking the first step. You're taking the second step. You're responding to what God has already done for you. What would be different about our world? What would be different about your life? Together today, we, we join in a time of commitment of sharing uh, that with one another because we believe that God has a dream for our world and that as people of faith, our task is to, with courage, be the kind of people who will live into that dream. And so as we receive those cards today, I want to invite you just to pray for our church. I want you to pray for our world I want you to pray for people in our community right now who are hurting, who don't know Jesus. I want you to pray for, for people who are, who are trapped in addiction. I want you to pray for, for people who are trapped in, in, by, by ideologies of, of vengeance and hate. I want you to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, for the world to become the place that God would want it to be, and for God to use us in seeing those dreams come true. Because this is your task, church. This is what our life is about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pause today to give you thanks for coming to show us the heart of God. And for showing us God's love and God's generosity and inviting us to live into that vision for our own life. And so Lord, today as we share with you our commitment as we share with you our willingness to sacrifice to see those dreams come true, we pray, Lord, or I pray, Lord, that you would bless each person who shares that. And that you would bless our world. That you would enable us, Lord, in partnership with your spirit to to be about your work. And seeing your kingdom grow, not only in our own lives not only in the heart of this church, Lord, and in this community, but in places all around the world. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the chance to do for someone else what you have so graciously done for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.